This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff for a segment, maybe two, maybe three. Depends on the traffic. Jeff is making his way back from uh, NHL All-Star Fan Fest. Uh, He did some interviews there with Elliot Friedman for 32 Thoughts. And of course, on the day that Jeff isn't here, at least to start the show, all hell breaks loose. In the words of Bob Cole, everything is happening. And I am not even going to attempt to do a Bob Cole impression because that would be very foolish. Um, When I got in today, I was doing another show. And producer David says, did you see what happened? And I said, what? And he said, well, Sean Monaghan got traded to Winnipeg. Um, And the deal is Sean Monaghan to the Jets for a first-round pick and a conditional third-round pick in 2027. The first-round pick is for 2024. Montreal doing a tidy bit of business there. Then, as the day continues, we get news that Todd McClellan has been fired. This one is I don't want to say it's a shocker because the team hasn't played well of late, but it's more of a shocker because, you know, we talked about this with Elliot yesterday, at least Jeff did, and you thought that if there was an opportunity to fire Todd McClellan, it would have already happened. You know, during this lengthy skid, they had just won. I mean, very, very surprising. We're also, um, there are reports out there about potential um Olympic participation in 2026 from the NHL. More best on best, which we absolutely love. Um, And oh yeah, there was the NHL uh, all-star draft last night. Uh, Lots of cool things there. Um, And we'll talk about a bunch of those things with our next guest. Actually, they'll give you the lineup. Gord Stelic is going to join me in just a second here. Uh, Flames GM Craig Conroy, Conroy will join us in the next block. Bruce Boudreaux former NHL head coach, NHL network analyst. He will join us as well. And then Savannah Harmon, who had a fantastic night last night in the PWHL three-on-three showcase. Uh, She will join the program as well later on. Uh, Lots of moving parts here, people. So be patient with us as we get through it. Uh, The aforementioned Gord Stelic, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio and hockey commentator here on Sportsnet 590. The fan also uh, author... Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 77-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, which he co-wrote with Damian Cox, joins us here. Gordo, how are you, pal? I'm, I'm outstanding, Matt, down here at the uh, fanfare. So, uh, yeah, it's been a good day yesterday. It looks like a couple more great days as well. Um, before we get into the stuff from last night, because like I said, all hell broke loose as soon as, of course, I had to host the show. Um, we'll, we'll start, let's start with the one that's the most recent, and that is the, the Todd McClellan firing in LA how surprised were you by this because you know I I just mentioned it in the open I felt like if there was an opportunity to fire Todd McClellan not that this isn't an opportunity to do it but it felt like it probably would have happened like a week ago maybe two weeks ago the way the team was going they had just won a game against the Preds you think okay things have cooled off at least a little bit maybe he has a little bit more time and then we got the news today how surprised were you by this uh, not surprised. Not surprised. I mean, if you would have asked at Christmas, obviously. And, uh, you know, Matt, um, a couple things. One is, like, uh, you, you don't base it just on the one game. So, sure, they had a big win against Nashville, which had been few and far between. But uh, he really seemed at wit's end about a week ago, Todd McClellan. And there's some weird stuff there. Like, you know, the, the whole Drew Doughty thing and who he's, who's he calling out and what happened. And so things have really gone off the rails. And you've got to make sure that while you're still clinging to a playoff spot, that you address it. And, uh, you know, I, I know Elliot's a big part of the show. And I remember, you know, start of the season, he even said in preseason talking to everyone, they all said, man, what's with the tension? What's with the pressure? It's real. And I, I've said, Matt, that it's, you know, COVID's behind us now. And there was sort of a lot of forgiveness there, give mulligans to try to get through and survive. And now, I mean, you got 25 teams that expect to be in the playoffs. Nine will be pissed off. You got whatever number. You got twelve teams that expect to win the first rounds. You know uh, what? Six or six will be pissed off. I mean, and on and on and on. The math, the math carries on in that regard. And uh, uh, Edmonton made that move early. Um, maybe the fact it works so well for the Oilers has uh, maybe uh, made people motivated, presidents or general managers, whoever, to make a, a similar move. But boy, it's not been a great year for coaches. But the good part is they get paid well, and generally they have security. 
Uh, Jim Heller takes over on an interim basis there in Los Angeles, longtime NHL assistant. You know, it, it's funny that you say that about the coaches. Like, last year, it it was a long time before a coach got fired. Like, it took three quarters of the season before, you know, teams made that move, and there were a lot where you went, okay, now's got to be the time. If there's going to be a time, it's now. And you look at this season, and we've already had a bunch of coaches fired. Why, why do you think that that is? Do you think maybe they thought, ah, oh, the right guy isn't available or... It's just such a far cry from what we saw last year comparatively to this year. Yeah, Matt, there was a few years ago that uh, nobody got fired in yeah. season. You know, no coach got fired in season. So it, it, it is interesting, a bit perplexing. Some of them have been, you know, surprising. Um, you know, Craig Berube kind of an interesting one in that um, it has got the Blues are now in the playoffs right now, and it seems to have done uh, a reasonable, whatever, the, the dead cat bounce, as Brian Burke calls it, that you used to generally get to, turn things around but the other places ottawa minnesota whatever you know hasn't hasn't been that but again i i guess i go back to the pressure that maybe in other years that you would sit a little tighter but now no no like it's it's like i said the nine teams that don't make the playoffs it's 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 considered disaster maybe a bit strong but a bitter bitter pill to swallow bitter disappointment so you got to do everything you can, and the easiest thing is to make the coaching change. Yeah, we 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 talked about it on this show uh, as well. Like there there is this need to win quickly in the NHL, especially because there are a lot of teams that thought that they were in it. Like we think we are a playoff team, and uh, you know a lot of them maybe it, it didn't come to fruition quite like they thought. Um, the other the other story of the morning so far. I mean, well, there's two other ones, but. Uh, Sean Monahan gets dealt from the Montreal Canadiens to the Winnipeg Jets, a first-round pick in 2024, and a conditional third-round pick in 2027. Um, when you saw that deal and you saw a first-round pick for Sean Monahan, what was your initial thought? Well, you know, good on the great on the Montreal Canadiens. This is when you're, you know, one of the few teams that aren't expecting big things. Uh, you go about and intelligently um, use your assets and be a seller. So they. They got a first-round pick to take Sean Monaghan in his bigger contract initially, and now they get a second one for him to move. So, you know, good on the Montreal Canadiens. But also, Matt, we're talking about the Winnipeg Jets as a buyer. Yeah. Good on good on them, you know? Like, I, I, I'm wondering if they are the Washington Capitals. Just when you thought the window had closed on the Washington Capitals, you know, two years later they won that Stanley Cup, and a lot of people thought that for the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know what? They're all in. It's a, it's a great message to a team there that's in complete harmony and, you know, and – and first-round picks, when you're talking 26 to 32nd, are very different, obviously, than Jake Sanderson at fifth overall, like Ottawa got a few years ago. So, good on the Jets for jumping in. Uh, uh, and and you, you got uh, so you know maybe a bit of a reaction to Vancouver jumping in early in that. But you know teams now, once something happens, uh, you don't want to wait to the 11th hour. So I I really commend Kevin Chevold Day Day off and everyone in Winnipeg. Uh, basically, let's go for it. I, I do wonder about um, the future for Sean Monahan in that market because, like, Sean Monahan is going to be 30 years old by the time the season starts next year. They made the move for Nino Niederreiter last year, signed him to an extension. Uh, they do this with Sean Monahan. Like, I wonder if in their mind they're paying a first round pick and saying, this is a guy that we will look to extend. Sean Monahan has had a, a big bounce back season. And, and last year, you know, 17 points in 25 games. Games, and then he got hurt and missed the rest of the season this year 35 points in 49 games he's not you know he's not putting up numbers the same as we saw you know during his heyday in Calgary but it's a much improved player looks like he's over the injuries hopefully over the injuries and maybe it's a guy that Winnipeg looks at and says okay we can bring him in our building you know he's going to help us for this year but he's also at an age where you know we can maybe get him on a, a two-year extension and have him in the building to go forward adding a, another veteran presence to go along with the guys that they already have. Well, I mean, look what's every year they had the Dustin Bufflin situation. What's going on with Blake Wheeler? Why did Paul Maurice leave in the middle of the season? Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois did not want to be there and so on and so on and so on. And basically it's come down to guys want to be there. I mean, the Shifley and Hellebuck re-ups were big. Nino Niederreiter re-upped as well. So, you know, uh, I think at his stage in life, Sean Monaghan, you want to be in a good situation team-wise. So you take your chances if you're the Winnipeg Jets. And, of course, it's always a win-win. The deeper you go in the playoffs, the better the, the, it is for the team, the deal, and it's more than likely the player wants to stay as well. So across that bridge when you come to it, I mean, last year, I don't know what the New York Rangers thought about the future with Patrick Kane or Vladdy Tarasenko, but certainly by a first-round exit, that ended that rather quickly.
Gord uh from the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So the other report that we have seen this morning from multiple places is that it looks like the NHL is going to announce that they're going back to the Olympics. Best on best is back. Hopefully this is part of a bigger international calendar. Um, Gord, some of the greatest moments in the sport have happened in best on best. You can, you know, you could talk about the miracle on ice. You could talk about 1972. You can talk about, you know, the golden goal and, and so on and so forth. Um, this is great for the game of hockey. It's great for its fans. I think the best part about this is there was a real concern, at least from my point of view, that we were not going to be able to see, you know, Connor McDavid in his prime play with Sidney Crosby or Nathan McKinnon or, you know, in a, in a true best on best where it's Canada and the U S and Finland and Sweden and not, you know, Canada. And then, you know, the North American under 23 team, like a legitimate best on best competition here. Um, when you think of international hockey, what comes to mind for you in terms of whether it be memories or just the thought of, you know, again, Sidney Crosby playing with Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon or Connor Bedard, like a bunch of generations that are kind of, you know, melding together to get together for one tournament. And then we talk about the emergence of other countries like the U.S. Um, where, where does your head go when you hear international hockey is coming back? Well, you you mentioned many of them, and it, it goes to a great place. It goes to those best memories. Uh, you know, you mentioned Team Canada 72, the New Year's Eve game between the Red Army and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, more and more Canada Cups, uh, Gretzky and Lemieux together in 1987, the very bitter World Cup in 1996 that USA won. But, man, oh, man, that was that was a bitter. It was physical, amazing. Ugly, great, great. You know, so on and on, the Golden Goal, Salt Lake City 2002, bitter disappointment in 98, you know, the shootout. So, and look at, look how they all just fall, you know, effortlessly off our, from our memories. And, uh, you know, Connor McDavid, you're right. These guys, they want to play. That's what they want. And I'm hoping we get in a groove, Matt, that this all-star weekend, like we have now is probably every second year. And every second year is an international event. One being the Olympics and the other being whether it's going to be the four nations tournament or whatever they're going to call it. I mean, we'll get enlightened about that more this uh, weekend, but now I, I just think it's great news. And, you know, last time it, everyone was gunned to go, ready to go, and it was a, a world situation that, that uh, uh, nobody could have predicted that changed a lot of things. So I, uh, I, I, any Olympic stuff I'm pumped about and, and keen about and look forward to. And, I mean, the fact that it's in Italy is probably a nice little selling feature for a lot of players that are going. It's like, oh, right. Italy. Oh, yeah, that seems like a really good place. Uh, by the way, for the people that haven't gone, the food is great there, as you probably already knew. Um, so last night... Uh, we, we saw the, the all-star draft. We saw the PWHL three on three showcase. Uh, Michael Buble made some comments that uh, made their rounds, which was pretty incredible. Um, but there was also the honoring of the 1967 team. And I wanted to get this out there because I don't think a lot of people knew about it. Maybe they saw it on social, whatever. I don't think it made it on the broadcast, but Brian McFarlane was in the building. I saw this from uh, Paul Patsku who does a great job as a hockey historian. And, and he was in the building. He was on the broadcast with Bill Hewitt during that game. His wife, Joan, actually wore the same outfit that she wore during that final game of the 1967 Stanley Cup in which the Leafs beat the Montreal Canadiens to capture, um, well, their most recent Stanley Cup. When you think about that 67 team, and I know you were young when, when they won, but what memories kind of flood back for you? Because I know that during your tenure with the Leafs organization, you spent a lot of time with a lot of people that were on that team, or at least a few of them anyway. Uh, what are your recollections of that 67 team? Man, it, it, you know, again, when you talk about book projects, Damien and I, 19 years ago, did a, a book on the 67 team. And, and the number 67, people in Toronto know what it means. It's an iconic number because of this team. So when we did the book, uh, only Terry Sachek and Tim Horton had passed away. Now so many of them have in, in the ensuing 19 years. So uh, I, I love being able to, you know, meet with George Armstrong and meet with Bobby Bond. And Jim Pappen was just a wonderful source about things. And, of course, they're all gone. So... I really liked, you know, Pete Stemkowski said it well last night. They weren't the best team, but they came up big for that one last hurrah. And we're kind of looking for that for this particular Leaf team as well. Can we get, can we get a playoff hurrah? Can we get what the Toronto Raptors did that one year, you know? And this team against, you know, uh, all kinds of circumstances, they came third out of six that year and, and, and did it. So I, I was really great in a sentimental sense to see the few that were there uh, be honored. Uh, so anyway, it was uh, it was a nice touch. You had the draft, you had that the PW, you had the showcase for the women as well. And I love the buzz and the energy and the support and the vibe in the building. 
And it's funny, you mentioned Michael Bublé. He was great. And I, who would have thought Justin Bieber uh, acted like Lou Lamorello on draft day? He was, <laughs> he was, of all people, he was the quietest one. I didn't have that one on my bingo card. I'm not going to lie, Gord. I really, I really <laughs> did not. So, so on that 67 team, and not, and not to get too far into the weeds here, but you know, my dad always talks about it because my dad's around the same age as you, and he talked about that 67 team and what he remembered from it. Like, what do you remember most about that run? Because you talk, like, you know, Pete Stemkowski said it yesterday, they weren't the best team. Uh, they finished fourth, and they got into the playoffs and beat the Montreal Canadiens, who, by many people's estimation, were a lot better and certainly on the up and up as they won plenty of cups afterwards. When you Is there a player that maybe stands out from that run that you think about during that? Like, I know Dave Keon's at the top of a lot of people's list. He was the Conn Smythe Trophy winner that year and, you know, one of, if not the greatest Maple Leafs of all time, and it's wonderful to see him back there. Is there a player or a, a moment that stands out from that 67 run for you? Yeah, you know, something it's, and what was great about the book was guys got their just due. Now, Dave Keon, it was great him being in the building last night. It's too bad he wasn't there. Uh, he was kind of estranged from the organization 25 years ago when they closed Maple Leaf Gardens because that would have been better. But anyway, it was great here. He was the MVP. But you know what we found out? They won three Stanley Cups in a row a couple of years before that, and that was the Mahovliches, the Keons, and those guys. This was Bob Pulford, Jim Pappen, Pete Stemkowski, Brian Conacher, Larry Hillman, Marcel Pronovo. You know, they, they were the unsung guys that were huge in this particular playoff. It was a very different kind of Stanley Cup. So I know they really appreciated, and their families did, that they got their just due. And then, you know, you mentioned that about uh, the Revival book. So a bit of, little bit of a plug because we're getting kind of a second go about it. And we look at that team in 1978 that you felt was Sittler, McDonald, Tiger, Boria. You know, these guys were best friends 40 years later, but the point being is they were the last homegrown group until now. The Pat Burns group and the Pat Quinn group were guys that were acquired via trades, right? So, you know, you got Morgan Riley and, and, and then you got Matthews, Marner, Nylander. Like, can, you know, where can these four guys go nowadays? Can they win that series against the Islanders that, that still lacks for them like that other Leaf team did in 78? And, of course, back in 67, to get back to the original, they were pretty well all homegrown. I mean, some had come by trade, but that was the end of the era where they were, came through the Toronto Marlies Junior A, and they were kind of, most of them, Toronto Maple Leafs for life. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that 77-78 team, you know, again, I, I all of my knowledge that I have from any of these teams is passed on to me because obviously I'm too young to remember. I was not born. I was not even a twinkle in my father's eye at that point. But he brings up those teams and he talks about just how close they were. And then to have it all torn down was like you had your heart ripped out because it felt like, okay, they can get back to that point where they can be elite. And maybe they were, you know, my dad says they were one or two players away. And that may very well have been the case but it's one of those great unknowns in the sport that if they had kept that team together and they added a piece or two you know we wouldn't hear all this chatter about or maybe we wouldn't hear all this chatter about well 1967 is the last time that the Leafs won the Stanley Cup which is also why in some weird roundabout way you know the Leafs not having won since then keeps the memory alive of that 67 team as well haven't made the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, well, that, that, that too. <laughs> yeah. So we in Toronto now are what the Chicago Cubs and Boston Red Sox fans used to be. You know, they've got their World Series now. So, I mean, Toronto may be next up about a, a incredibly passionate, passionate hockey base or a passionate fan base about a particular sport, in this case hockey, having the kind of drought and lack of success team-wise. I mean, we, we're probably up there with the, any, any other comparable situation. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, and for those that, that get the book, uh, it, and I'll get it out there, Revival, the Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Gord Stellick, our guest here, and co-wrote with Damian Cox. I wanted to ask you a little bit about this current Leaf team here. Um, you know, we've heard the rumblings about Bradshaw Living wanting to revamp this defensive unit, and I... I I do not doubt that one second because we've all heard about how active Brad Treliving is on the phone calls every day, talking about players and figuring out who's out there. And and as we know, uh, defense is the big issue. But when we look at this team, is might it be something where they look at it and say, there are just too many holes on this defensive group to fill for us to become a real contender? Because when we look at previous champions, look no further than the Golden Knights from last year. A big, nasty, mobile defense. Had guys that can move the puck really well, but they can also play really well on their own end. 
it feels like that might be too far gone to fix for this edition of this leaf group. Might it be something where, you know, they make an addition now and then maybe the big one comes in the offseason? Or do you think they look at this team and say, we are that close, Joseph Wall gets healthy, we have a really good situation in goal, or at least one we're comfortable with, and that, you know, we are willing to maybe sacrifice a bit of the future for potential success right now? Okay, so I've thought this through, Matt, and this, you know what, there's no night in armor riding in the white horse anymore. There's no Nick Felino. There's no Ryan O'Reilly, okay? We've always been waiting for that. You know what? These guys that are at the All-Star Weekend, get it done, okay? They're the guys. Get it done. Get it done. Get to the next round. Now, other things about whether you want to look for more depth on D, I agree with that. I mean, last year, the best trade deadline pickup of the lease was Luke Shen for a third-round pick, and he just played great. And, you know, if you get one or two like that, to apply that that's what I'm looking at them doing. And then your free age, your trade deadline pickups in a lot of ways were done in the summer and Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. I mean, they're on one year contracts, so they're hired guns. Still they are guys that, you know, have had some playoff experience. Domi kind of resurrected his career in Dallas and Carolina, having a couple of decent playoffs. So, I mean, they're the kind of ones got to get done. They got to get done. You know, we always keep thinking, oh, this guy's going to come and that guy's going to come. And even I, I keep going back to the book, but, you know, Dan Maloney wasn't that prodigal trade son back then to get them to the promised land. So uh, I, 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 you know what, major surgery, forget it. They, they're, they, they've re-upped on those guys and they're great players, but they've re-upped on them. And they're the ones that got to lead them to the promised land or at least a better land than another disappointing playoff exit. Okay. Uh, All-Star Skills Challenge goes tonight. Um, you can watch that on Sportsnet. Um, actually, I want to talk about the all-star draft before we get there, because I had this thought in my brain. We all make a big deal about the, you know, the guy who gets picked last because we remember the Phil Kessel thing and, you know, nobody wanted to get their feelings hurt after. And I understand that, um, you know, it was never fun being the kid that was picked last, uh, in the playground. Uh, Gord, I was never the kid that was picked last. I was always second last, uh, cause I was just slightly more athletic than the other kid who was going to get picked last. But, you know, last night it got me thinking, what about a donation to the charity of the choice of the player who gets drafted last. And then it's like, I kind of want to get drafted last. It adds to the intrigue of the whole thing. And then nobody feels bad at the end of it. I'm sure we can find a sponsor to come up with 25 K for that. Well, uh, Castle got something from being picked last. Was it it a car? You got a car or something, but but Phil Castle didn't need a car. (laughs) These guys don't need cars. I know, but, but they thought that that would be, do exactly whether it's a charitable donation or a card exactly what you're talking about but it didn't and it so it, it didn't play out well that's all like the worst one ever was lebron james and the decision that was the worst ever right yeah. uh i don't know what i wouldn't say this was second but it just didn't so they wouldn't go back there i gotta say it was pretty anticlimactic though boy the fi- I, I don't know what else you could do with the final four that it was kind of a lottery last night that you know but but uh, no, they won't go back there. And I understand why. Uh, the, the funniest was they're handing out the envelopes and Dave Keon is handing out the envelopes to the four remaining guys. I'm still thinking in my brain, like these guys still know that they're the last four, whether you're last or the fourth last at the same time, it doesn't really matter. I, I agree. There's not really a great way to do it. Um, okay. So the skills uh, challenge tonight, is there an event that you're most interested in seeing the result? Because they talked about it a bit on the broadcast yesterday. You know, the fastest skater is a, it's a great thing to watch because you get to really see how fast these guys can go. But there's also the aspect of, uh, there's a chance that these guys could get hurt and nobody wants to see that, especially the teams in which these guys play for. Um, I look back on, I, you know, the, the all-star moments that I look back on are, you know, the target shooting with Ray Bork or the hardest shot with whether it be Zidane Chara or Al McInnes with a wooden stick, like those types of things. It feels like those aren't necessarily the the high profile events anymore, and specifically with the hardest shot, like nobody takes slap shots anymore. So uh, that's the one I'm most intrigued by because it's even the unassuming guys with the technology that we have today. Like Elias Pettersson won last year, and everybody's like, "Holy smokes, he can really fire a slap shot." Is there an event that you most look forward to watching in these in, in these All Star games? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, and, and by the way, I think that's why there's only five skaters in the fastest skater because, yeah, nobody you can, wants you to do it, it higher, <laughs> you know, you can. So um, I, you know, I've sort of gone through them all over the years, um, what I've liked or not. So tonight there's that whatever obstacle course that Connor McDavid's the super double dog secret, whatever at the end. So I'm kind of wondering what that is all about that ends up being the decision maker. So I'm, I'm sort of more curious about what is the unknown. 
Yeah, and I, I love it. Now, with the hardest shot, I mean, I would. you know what I would love to see? And they would never do it. I would love to see these guys take a slap shot with a wooden stick. I know that sounds really old school, Gord, but we saw yeah. Ally Afraidy do it with this. People say mullet. It was a skullet. Let's not get it twisted. It was a skullet. He was, you know, we just needed him with a cigarette in his mouth and everything would have been great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what I would love to see. Like kick it old school a little bit with a nice Sherwood 50-30 or 50-50, I think it is. I can't remember. And I like see what idea. those guys can do there. I feel I like, like that, that would hurt some hands, Gord. Yeah, and maybe have a skating thing and tube skates and, you know, all those. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, I couldn't uh, imagine using I, – I look back at the equipment and I say, I don't know how anybody skated on this, which is why the players from the older generation do not get enough credit for what they did on those things because that would be – I don't even know what you can, you know, yeah. what you can, uh, you know, compare it to. Like with the yeah. lack of ankle support, I mean that's that's uh, something special. Uh, listen, mm-hmm. Gord, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. As always, greatly appreciate it. Enjoy Fan Fest down there. I know you're broadcasting from there. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and, and have a great weekend, pal. Okay, you too, Matt. Take care. There he goes, Gord Stelic, host of or co-host of the Morning Skate along with Scotty Lachlan on NHL Network Radio, and of course, uh, commentator here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. You know, I, I watching that, by the way, Michael Buble was fantastic in the post game. I know, I know we shouldn't make light of it. I mean, we should. It was funny. And then he said, no, no, I didn't. I can't wait for the Michael Buble Christmas album now. Just with a little microdose. Let's see what that sounds like. Uh, everybody was fantastic. I know, I know for a lot of people, you know, the pageantry that goes along with the all-star game, you know, people don't love it. And well, it's, if you don't love it, it's not for you. And that's fine. That's fine because it's for sponsors. It's for kids. We do this every year. We have this conversation. It is not for you and I. It is for... it. Think of the children. And so last night, and I know the players are not super enthused. And generally speaking, hockey players, their personality comes out when they're not on a microphone or on a camera. Um, some don't like, like Nathan McKinnon said, I'm not the greatest public speaker. He, he, he admitted that um, very clearly. But I think it's a nice little thing for the fans. The PWHL showcase was great last night too. Um, probably should have had them play a little bit longer. I know it was three on three and, and whatever, but um, it was a great show. And if I'm not mistaken, the battle on Bay Street uh, between PWHL Toronto and Correct me if I'm wrong behind the glass, uh, PWHL Montreal as well. That game head-to-head is sold out at Scotiabank Arena. February 16th, sold out. So clearly the PWHL is having an impact and and good on and good on them last night for for putting on a bit of a show. Marie-Philippe Poulin, of course, um, at her best, Savannah Harmon had a hat trick. And then they're throwing gloves on the ice for the hat trick in order in, in celebration. I was really hoping that. Uh, they were going to tie it last night. I was really hoping for a little, maybe even a shootout, change things up a little bit. Uh, but looking forward to the the NHL Skills Challenge tonight. Um, I know they made reference to this on the broadcast, and it was Kevin Bieksa talking about uh, the passing challenge, and even Kelly Rudy mentioned it as well. Like that is one that can really humble you, because these guys are all. It doesn't matter where you are in the NHL, whether you're a fourth liner or a first liner, you are still able to execute those things. Some at a a higher rate than others. But if you don't, if you miss a couple and you start getting in your own head and everybody's watching you, you cannot go anywhere. There is no out of bounds here for you. You cannot just say, I'm done. I'm going to the next thing, whatever. You are timed. That has to be the most frustrating thing if you are a player to miss out on that one and just sit there and you can't move and you feel like you're in quicksand because you can't complete a pass. A pass that in a game you could probably make with your eyes closed. But in this where you're a little bit more lax, ah, that's fine. I'll get it. No, doesn't happen. We saw that happen to Drew Doughty. I can't imagine how frustrated Drew Doughty was when that happened. If I was doing it, I probably would have peed my pants. No question. That's a lot of people to be watching what you're doing. Like a lot of people that watch this show on Sportsnet 360. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's the general manager of the Calgary Flames. He's been busy, although he's been busy with one team. 
likes trading with the Vancouver Canucks. It's Craig Conroy. He'll join us when we come back. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. I'm still here. Uh, Jeff is en route from FanFest doing a bunch of interviews. So uh, he will be here, I'm assuming, shortly as we start the the next hour. Um, Elliot Friedman, uh, a little change in the schedule. Elliot Friedman will join the program um, the top of the next hour. And then Bruce Boudreaux moves to uh, the bottom of the next hour. So we got lots to get to, including our next guest who, well, he's been busy this week. Um, he's been busy all year. Uh, it's Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames general manager. Craig, how are you today? Good, Matt. How are you? I'm good. Uh, firstly, thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. I know that this time of the year can get a little bit busy. You know, you've got scouting meetings. you got uh, all sorts of things going on. You're making trades. Um, so this is the second deal of the season for you in season. Uh, you send Elias Lindholm to Vancouver for Andre Kuzmenko, Hunter Brustevich, um, who we need to change his name because it's way too hard to pronounce. Uh, Yoni Yermo, a first rounder and a conditional fourth. Uh, firstly, before we get into the particulars of this deal, this is the second one that you've done with Vancouver. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, if it's the best deal that's available, sure, that's fine. But do you find, is it safe to say it's easy to deal with Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford? You know, I think, uh, you know, both guys, they they were, they know what they want. They're aggressive and they, and they went after it. So, you know, it, it was easy. You know, we went back and forth. Obviously you're negotiating, you're looking, you know, I'm asking for certain players and they're yes or no to those. And then we just keep working through. But, you know, I thought I liked how it kind of went about the whole thing. You know, it, once it started, it went really quickly. I mean, obviously I, it was funny, Patrick, I think after he did the door off, he said, uh, you know, we still have interest in Lindholm. So, you know, it took a little bit of while from there. And then probably a few weeks ago, I think he called back, said, hey, if you're going to do something with Lindholm, uh, would you let me know? I said, it looks like we're going in that way, Patrick. So he said, okay. And then on Saturday, he uh, he called and gave a real good first offer. Like, you know, he knew what I was kind of looking for. So he came with that. And then we... You know, that's when it really started, and, and we went back to the other teams also and uh, just to see where everybody was at and what they were willing to do. But they were, you know, Vancouver, you know, obviously a division team. Uh, we've done two trades with them now. It, it's a little weird, but, again, I just want to do what's best for the organization. Well, I know other GMs are probably going, Craig, you can't do this. You can't trade within the division like this. Not twice in a year. How dare you? Uh, now you're setting the precedent that we can do stuff like that. Uh, okay, let's talk about the particulars, and then we're going to, you know, we'll talk big picture about the, the team right now. But, you know, on Andre Kuzmenko has struggled this season comparatively to last year, and he's found himself as a healthy scratch on a few occasions. He did have to waive the no trade clause to to come to Calgary. Plain and simple, like what kind of a like what goes into I want to say a sell job, but I mean, yes, you are selling the organization and the opportunity here. But what what made you confident that you can get him to waive his no trade to come to Calgary? Well, I think players just want to feel wanted first of all. So you know, he was happy that you know, the flames were interested, even though we were on the no trade. And then we just kind of explained where we see him fitting in. Uh, you know, it's funny as it was a little bit difficult as English going back and forth, but he does like the, you know, I think he was excited about power play, uh, playing in the top six on the power play. And he likes to score goals. He said, so, you know, I said, well, I hope you score lots of goals here for us. So, you know, we're going to give him an opportunity where, you know, I've been in situations like that where I've had good years and, and the next year it's a different coach and, and he's got different things he's looking for and it didn't work out. And, you know, even in my, my year, I got traded uh, from L.A. back to Calgary. And I, I know how those things are, but you want to give guys an opportunity to do what they do best. And he, he's a skilled forward that, you know, you're always looking to add skilled guys to your lineup, especially ones that can score goals. So, you know, it, we, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on him, but I do think uh, he's going to get a great opportunity here, and that's what we sold him on. Well, he, he's certainly proven that he can score at the NHL level. We saw the year he had last year, and people are going, oh, boy, like this guy's going to be a real player. And like you said, things happen, situations change. But when you're looking at a player, and it doesn't even have to just be Kuzmenko. It could be any player, but we'll focus on Kuzmenko because he's, you know, one of the focal pieces of this deal. 
How hard is it to look past what you've seen this year and see the player that he was last year? I know the sample size is a little bit smaller this season, but it's also a player that doesn't have a ton of NHL experience to go along with it where you say, okay, he was this player before. We're confident he can get back there. How how difficult is it to maybe see past some of the struggles that he's had this year and say that player that we saw last year still does exist and we can get the most out of him? Well, I think that's that's what we have to do is our job is part of that is saying, okay, is there an opportunity here? Are we going to be able to put him in a better situation to have success? And if if we do put him in that, Kenny, I mean, I think with Sharon Govich, when we made that deal, uh, it, it happens. You know, he just wasn't playing. He he, he was, wasn't with Hughes anymore. He got moved down the lineup and, and just didn't get an opportunity. So we thought with his penalty killing, the way Sharon Govich plays, that if we could put him in a good situation here in Calgary, uh, you know, he was going to get some opportunities with good players, power play, penalty kill. And, you know, he's had, he's had a nice start to the season. So, you know, you, you kind of look and say, okay, we just don't want to take all the negative stuff. What do we think the player has an opportunity to be? And that's, you know, it's hard because you really do look at the last little bit this year where he's at, you know, and you just want to be open-minded. That's the one thing I tell my scouts. We want to be open-minded. Look back at your reports, what you said the year before when he was playing great. And then, you know, maybe maybe they weren't as good of reports this year, but can we get him back? And I, I expect a lot of my coaches. I mean, that's that's the thing. When I talk to Ryan and the staff, uh, you know, we got to put players in situations that uh, he can succeed. And having Trent Cull here is a real big bonus because he was assistant coach there last year, so he he knows how Bruce got him going, and that's that's a big part of it. So we kind of we felt comfortable with the player. Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames general manager, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. Hunter Bristevich is another piece of this deal that offers a lot of intrigue. He's having a fantastic year with Kitchener uh, in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, Was that a player that you identified pretty quickly in this process that you really wanted in this deal? Because the offensive numbers are are eye-popping. We've seen what he's done in Kitchener. Um, One of the knocks that that people have said is maybe the skating needs a little bit of work. But when you talk about a player like this as as someone you identify as a player that you want to bring in in a deal, when you look at something specific like skating, do you just say that's something that we can work on? Like there's other intangible. You can't teach a player to be smart. But you could certainly teach a player to, to skate well, and especially now with all the, you know, skating-specific coaches that we see, um, whether it be with a team or, or not. What To people that question the skating for a player like that, you say what? You know, the one thing we've always talked about is you can improve skating, but the player has to want to do it. So when you're doing your background talking to people, is he committed in the gym? Is he willing to work on it? You know, I think, you know, we have Mike Stone here. Obviously, his brother got drafted later only because of the skating and you watch it doesn't seem to be a problem. I think people talked about Bo Horvat skating. Uh, you know, if you're willing to do the work and you want to do it. And the one thing he wants to be a player, he wants to put the work in, he's in the gym, he does all that stuff. And, and it might take a little time. I mean, it's getting stronger, getting older, but skating is something we, we feel we can do as long as he wants to do it. And then, you know, the other stuff is, is really you know, you can't teach. You can't teach all this stuff that he does. You know, offensively, the vision, his ability to, to make plays, the way he sees the ice. I mean, that's that's that stuff you, you love. You think you could teach it, but you, you just can't. I'm I'm curious to get your take on this as a former player. Um, you know, there are certain players that they come into the league that, you know, again, the, the skating is questioned, but those players for you know the latter part of you know minor hockey into junior hockey skating is is an issue but they play with it because they're so talented do you think that there is a benefit to you know maybe being a player who can prove that they can play a long time in this league you know not being the fleetest of foot because they think the game so well and you know for guys that are faster you know maybe some of the smaller players that are faster when the legs start to go as the career goes on the game becomes a lot more difficult because they've always been one of the fastest guys on the ice do you think there's an advantage to you know being able to play the game at a certain pace that when the legs start to go it's like well I've kind of been here my whole career so my game doesn't have to change very much well, I think, you know, I, I do think about that because you think all the players, people people question Matthew Kachuk skating when, when we drafted him, but it hasn't affected him, you know. I mean, you know, maybe he's not Connor McDavid skating, but what how he does it and his brain and what he does around the net, especially from the top of the circles down is special. You know, I remember playing against Andrew Burnett. People said, 
you know, oh, maybe his skating, but boy, smart, competitive, make plays. So I do think if you can do all that other stuff, you know, as much as we, everybody wants to be an elite skater, especially now where there's not the hooking holding when I played as much, but, you know, you do feel like if you can, if you can show you can play and have success and be an elite player, you know, maybe without the skating, you're right. I, I think for those players that have always used their skating and it starts to slip, you see their game fall off really quick. But I think a player like this, that's, you know, such a smart player, uh, you know, especially I'll just take Matthew Kachuk, for example, you just see how well he does it year, year out and maybe not an elite skater, but a good, a good enough skater to get by in his brain as elite. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, this is your, your first go around as the general manager of the team. You've been in the front office for a long time. Um, nothing surprises you, I'm sure. How would you categorize the trade chatter right now around the league? Because, you know, we saw your trade earlier this week. We had a trade between Montreal and Winnipeg earlier today. With how tight teams are up against the cap um, and the juggling that may need to be done in order to be cap compliant for some of these deals – does it feel like teams are trying to get more ahead of the deadline because of how you know intricate and difficult some of these deals may be to make with salary retention and, and moving players around? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think to get ahead of it, uh, you know, especially my situation ahead, you know, in the summer, numerous players uh, that were UFAs this year, we were able to get Michael Backlund signed, which was uh, exciting for the organization. But, you know, to, to not have to leave it all on your plate till the end, uh, you know, and you want, and like I always said, it didn't matter to me when I made the deal. When I thought the deal was right, I was I was going to do it. I didn't want to back myself into a corner and say, you know, I'll do it or I won't do it. I just said if if the deal is the right deal, and then I think Patrick, uh, you know, and Jim really decided, okay, they want to get ahead of it. They wanted to get Elias into the fold sooner than later, and for us, we just, uh, you know, it made sense. You know, and and I appreciate all the other teams that were involved and you know in the end I sat down with my group and we said okay this is our best uh, th- we think this is the best offer even though it's uh, it's a you know division rival uh, you know we, we like I said we had to do what's best but I do think for me personally it, it doesn't matter when and and you do have a little as a GM you lose a little bit of sleep uh, with UFA guys that you know you might move that every game you play, they play lots. You, you do worry about injury a little bit for sure. So, you know, to be able to kind of get this one done and then, and then move on is, is probably was the right move for our, our franchise. Um, okay. So you mentioned the, the pending unrestricted free agents. Um, how, where, how would you categorize where you are right now? Are there ongoing discussions? Have you put those aside? Have you decided that there is a direction that this team is going to go? And I mean, you guys are right around a playoff spot too. Like you're in kind of, you're in a tough spot and, and I, and I can appreciate um, the work that goes into trying to maneuver this, but um, you know, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, uh, those are the two names that everybody wants to talk about. Um have you made a decision on which direction you're going to go? Like, is the is the Elias Lindholm trade giving us an indication of where things are progressing with the Calgary Flames right now? I know you got a player that plays right now for you in Andre Kuzmenko, but um, should we take that as a sign of you kind of have your direction right now? And yes, you want to make your team better for now, but you also want to look towards the future with this group too. Yeah, I think you know the one thing I take each guy as it individually you know um with elias i knew we probably weren't going to sign him we just weren't going to sign him i knew that he wasn't signing back so uh you know that was kind of in my mind uh, at the beginning of the year that that was something i was going to have to do um you know and i take each guy individually and, and you're always trying to do the right thing again for the organization so you know, to say we're going to go one way or the other right now, I'm still, you know, I'm talking to the players, I'm talking to the agents, and we're still working our way through this to try to figure out, you know, if, if it's a fit. That's the one thing when you have unrestricted free agents, uh, you know, they have a big say whether they want to stay or want to go. So, you know, it's never, I know people want it to happen today, but it always, it just, it just takes a little more time and you never want to, uh, you know, obviously it's getting to that time uh, with maybe a little over a month to go to the trade deadline, but you know, we're still just working our way through it with the agent, with the player. And we're going to kind of see where this goes. 
Uh, Craig Conroy is our guest here on the Jeff Merrick show. So when you look at your club now, um, there's been an infusion of some, some younger players, you know, Connor Zary is a guy that, that sticks out in my mind as a player that, you know, has played really well, especially early on. I mean, the, the numbers have tailed off a little bit, but still great. Um, Yegor Sharangovich has been fantastic for you guys this year. He's hit the 20 goal mark. He's only a few away from the career high. When you look at the team right now, and see the success of, you know, a Connor Zary and a Blake Coleman who's having a career year as well. Um, you look, you, you have to be at least optimistic about the way that things have gone. And especially after, you know, the, the coaching staff changes and Ryan Huska coming in and, and bringing in Mark Savard as well. How would you categorize your team right now and, and how happy or maybe a little unhappy you are with the group? Well, I was very unhappy with the start of the year. I think that was a disappointment. I was hoping we'd get off to a quicker start, and we really put put ourselves behind the eight ball. And then, you know, since then, I, I knew we were changing things. We were trying to implement different things. Also for Ryan, he was trying to get the line combinations together and figure out who's working with who and, you know, savvy coming in with the power play. We had some good stretches, some poor stretches, and, uh, you know, we're still working at it. It's still a work in progress. But I do feel like as I've watched the team come along to be able to see the young guys, Apospisil, you know, Azari, Coronado. I, I feel like we have some great pieces coming and, and to see how well they played early, especially Zari. He really, you know, right from the first game, uh, the production's been there, you know, but it's hard, you know, and that's when I talk to him. It's a, it's an everyday league and it's almost every other day of the game. So it's a lot and he's got to get his rest and, you know, it's, it's going to be ups and downs. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him coming out of the break when he's got some rest, you know, because he's got to work hard. He's got to work hard and they're big, strong men. And uh, he's done a great job though. So, you know, I think that's promising and to see how Kadri's helped with the young guys and Michael Backlund's helped with our guys. It's just, uh, you know, I think we're trying to rebuild, uh, retool everything on the fly and, and move forward. So that's why getting Kuzmenko in the deal was another thing. Cause you're always looking for, scoring in the NHL. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do. And he's proven he, uh, that he can, he can kind of do that. So, you know, with the young guys, with where we're going, I'm really looking forward to seeing how we do down the stretch and our, our goaltending has been excellent for us too. I, I want to make sure I, I, I let everyone know I, I, both Ladar, even when Wolf is up here and, and Markstrom has been, been very, very good for us. So, you know, that gives us a chance every night. Yeah, Markstrom has been fantastic. The bounce back has has been great. I know Kevin Woodley, who comes on this program, says he is, you know, the numbers may indicate one thing, but if you look deeper, he's having a Vezina-type season, and, and he probably should be getting a lot more credit than he has. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for, for taking some time for us today. I know it's been a, a busy few days for you. Um, we look forward to what's next for you in the Calgary Flames. Uh, enjoy, I, I would say a break, but it's probably not much of a break for you, but enjoy what you can of, uh, of All-Star Weekend and, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it, Matt. Have a good day. There he goes, Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames general manager and a busy one at that. Time now for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. So yesterday we had Austin Matthews scoring 70 goals as a futures bet offered by Sports Interaction. How about this one? Austin Matthews to score 70 goals and a Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. That is plus 400. And you look at some of the teams involved. You look at the Western Conference specifically. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets just made an addition. They traded for Sean Monaghan. That adds a nice little depth up the middle for them. you got the Edmonton Oilers who are riding a 16-game winning streak and could be setting a record uh, very shortly after the All-Star break. And oh yeah, by the way, those Vancouver Canucks also in the mix, um, who just traded for Elias Lindholm and uh, or Elias Lindholm, sorry, and and how good that Vancouver Canucks team looks right now. Boy, oh boy, very very juicy. I didn't even mention the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they could be a team that could be making significant changes to their blue line. Uh, this seems like uh, pretty good value here for this one. I'm very intrigued to see how that happens, and you already know how I feel about Austin Matthews scoring 70 because well. I think he's going to do it. Uh, that's going to do it for hour one of the Jeff Merrick show. Coming back, Elliot Friedman will join us at the top of the clock. Bruce Bill, Bruce Boudreaux will join us as well. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Bet local. Can't forget that one. Sports Interaction's awesome. Uh, that's going to do it for us here for hour one. Hour two is next. I think Jeff may be running into the building as we speak. 
But if not, you'll hear my voice on the other end with Elliot Freeman, Bruce Boudreaux also in hour two. Jeff Merrick will be back in a few. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, The big news of today so far as the Gary Bettman press conference is uh, underway and we'll bring you clips as as they they are appropriate with the announcement of Olympics and Four Nations, whatever they want to call it, Cup for the NHL. Uh, Sean Monaghan is now a member of the Winnipeg Jets. The Habs got a first-rounder for bringing him in and get a first-rounder for trading him. Tidy bit of business by Kent Hughes and also... Uh, Todd McClellan is out as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Jim Hiller in on an interim capacity as I'm joined by Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, Gabby, how are you today? Thanks as always for stopping by. Yeah, I think I'm uh, at the bottom of the list today with all the news that's going on in no, hockey. But, no, but, uh, here, but, here, but here's the thing, Gabby. Like You, you, you have like a perspective on a lot of the pieces of news of the last 48 hours that is exclusive to you and your positions and everything that happens in between your ears as it relates to a former player. And I want to get to Kuzmenko here in a second. But, you know, Elliot and I were just um, at the hotel doing interviews um, with various NHL players and coaches as well. And we sat down with both Rick Tockett and Rick Bonus at the same time. This is, I think, like two or three minutes after the Los Angeles Kings announced uh, the Todd McClellan was being dismissed and Jim Hiller was taking over on an interim capacity and they hadn't heard it. Um, and so first of all, the shock on both of their faces was, you know, pretty obvious and they're both surprised and disappointed that it happened to, you know, someone in the coaching fraternity, but both of them talked about that coaching fraternity. And as much as, you know, you guys are all competitive against each other and, you know, there's only 32 of these jobs. There is still very much a coaching fraternity. And I saw it right in front of me as, you know, Elliot mentioned to both Ricks that Todd McClellan was no longer behind the bench in L.A. From your point of view and your perspective, how much of a fraternity is there amongst coaches in the league? Well, I think we all hate to see it at the same, uh, hate to see the same thing. And that's coaches getting fired because uh, all of us, I think, know that a lot of times it's not the coach's fault. And I think because uh, yeah. uh, we've all been through it, whether you're Rick Tockett, whether you're Rick Bonus, whether you're myself, Todd McClellan, we've all been uh, all been fired and we think, you know, geez, you know, like, I mean, it's such an easy thing to do. Let's just fire the coach. And we get that fact that you can't fire 23 players, but how can we fix it by making it, doing the right thing? And, and I think this is a perfect situation that, uh, you know, I mean, you look at the L.A. Kings and, and, and I mean, they're the, one of the top penalty killers, the young teams in the league. They're one of the top power play teams in the league. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They just haven't been winning. So, I mean, uh, I think the coach is putting everything in, in, into the right spot, but, I mean, they're not winning. So, think of it. Sometimes you w- would like them to think of a different solution than mm. firing the coach, and uh, and that's what sort of bothers all of us, I think. You know, it was um, it was interesting. One of the things that Rick Bonus talked about. I'm, I'm I'm curious your perspective on this as well. There was there was one time that Bonus mentioned to us that he had been fired, and you know, inevitably, like all coaches, you know, they have to go back and talk to their families about what's just happened and what do we want to do next. And this is, you know. Like there's a, a human toll here and, you know, families are upset and certainly yep. mm-hmm. you know, the coaches themselves are upset and everyone, everyone in that fraternity has had these conversations. And Bonus said something really interesting too. You know, after this had happened a couple of times, he sat the family down and this can be challenging because, you know, now you're going to have to maybe move and go somewhere else. And he said, look, like, you know, this is the nature of this business. If this is too upsetting to the family, and this is where you really have to give it to Judy, his wife, um, you know, um, maybe dad should look for a different line of work somewhere where we can plant roots and stay somewhere for a while. And he said the kids, and this is probably why, you know, the kids work in the NHL with a couple of different NHL teams. They said, dad, we're a hockey family and this is what a hockey family does. And no matter where we go, we're always going to be a family, which sounds so much like a bonus thing to think and a bonus thing to say. Um, those conversations, Gabby, you've had them. They have to be incredibly hard. 
uh, when you talk to the family and say, dad's been fired and we have to figure out what's next? Yeah, I mean, there's the initial, uh, uh, you know, everybody's not feeling well and whether you're crying or whatever because you lose the job. But I, I remember all the time my wife saying, okay, and my kids, and okay, where's our next adventure? Where are we going next? I mean, uh, they've never believed that, okay, once your hockey job is w- was done in one place, that it, it was never going to continue somewhere else. I mean, whether uh, I was playing or coaching, it was always moving on. So, I mean, uh, I, I would get the great support. Where are we going next? Let's get the, let's, let's get going. Let's do something. Uh, it was always hockey related though. And, yeah. and I think that's why all the kids are involved in hockey still, because they know the dangers of coaching, but at the same time, they want to do it. Yeah. What's Ben like your son? Niagara Star. He's a good coach, but I mean, the, the team's not doing so good, but I mean, he's had success as a young coach. He started at 28 and yeah. uh, won the, East Coast League in you know three years ago as a, as the head coach in Fort Wayne, but I mean he he gets it. I mean sometimes you move on. He came back to St. Catharines to be uh, to, to be home to be closer to the kids and everything. So mm-hmm. I mean, but uh, he's it's not that he doesn't want to coach. It's not that uh, Brady, my other son, doesn't want to coach. He's coaching our junior team and he wants to he wants to move up. Mm-hmm. But they all know the pitfalls that it's almost like being an army brat. I mean, you're going to move. You're, yeah. you're not going to get a chance to uh, get the white picket fence and, and grow up in the same neighborhood and have your friends uh, uh, all from the same schools all the time. You're going to, you're going to be all over the place. And when, once you've accepted that, yeah. it's a, it's an easy thing because you love doing what you're doing. Bruce Boudreaux with me. Uh, NHL um, trade deadline is well over a month away, but we've seen players moved. Uh, Elias Lindholm goes to the Vancouver Canucks, the primary outside of picks and prospects. Uh, going back the other way is Andre Kuzmenko, someone that you know uh, very well. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of people give you credit for, you know, helping acclimatize him and, and get him started uh, with his pro career. Um, from your point of view, what is Calgary getting with Andre Kuzmenko? Well, you know, if they're getting a guy that below the circles in the offensive zone is as talented as you're going to find, and he's a guy that can he can shoot the puck. He he's more he wants to pass more than he shoots, but I mean he shot last year and uh, yeah. uh, he got 39 goals. So I mean, um, but below the circles, he goes to the front of the net, gifted offensively. He's like a lot of these uh, Russian guys that come over. The the skill level is excessive what he has to do um sometimes that he would pick a coach off is his defensive game is a little bit lacking but i mean mm-hmm. um to me the good always outweighed the bad with him and i think uh calgary's going to get a good player that is going to it's going to be a new lease on life for him i mean um and and he's going to score goals if he gets the centerman that can pass him the puck. He's going to score goals because he is really gifted offensively. Mm-hmm. What's he? Uh, what's he like as a person? What's he like to relate to as a coach? You know what? He, he's got a, a great personality. I remember uh, vividly at the beginning of the year they had the training camp hadn't started, and and but they had a thing where four or five kids were skating with Kuzmenko on the on the ice. And he was, for a half an hour, I just watched his personality coming to the forefront. The kids loved him. He was happy doing what he was doing. Um, and I and I said, if this guy can play, he's going to be a fan favorite because, I mean, he's got that good personality that mm. it's just not like you would picture sometimes uh, a Russian stoic face, no smiling, no anything <laughs> else. He's, you know that's how we pictured when I was growing up, anyway. And but I mean, he he has got a great personality, and I just think that this is going to be a new lease on life, and I think he'll do really good. Now, on the other hand, he's a guy that uh, um, you know you worry about uh, coming over to the NHL from the KHL. I worried when we first met him in Detroit about his conditioning and everything else. And, and I don't know how serious he took it this year. Maybe he wasn't in as good a shape as he was last year. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but I do think if he takes it seriously, comes in great shape and, and his weight is fine, then I think, you, you know, um, and next year's another contract year for him. I think uh, Calgary's going to get a really good sniper. 
Um, I, I got to throw a totally frivolous question your way. Uh, and you may laugh it off and say, next question, Merrick. And I would understand because it's totally frivolous. But Andre Kuzmenko has one of the more unique tape jobs on his stick of anyone in the NHL. Uh, one of the things I love talking to you about, Gabby, is historical perspective. Any players that you can think of from your time, either playing or coaching, where you looked at their tape on their stick and said, what is that? <laughs> uh, you know, the the first person that had the weirdest tape job was, was Bobby Orr would have one strand uh, yep. uh, around the, the, the blade. and But he was okay with it. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I decided at that point, the biggest thing with me is when you used to tape the knobs of the sticks. Mm. And the one guys would have, like, one strand around the top of your uh the knob and you, and you couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand how they couldn't grip the stick. I always wanted it. Like uh, I'd put maybe three or four times around to, to make it feel like you're just gripping something that felt natural. Yeah. But I mean, there was, there was guys that would take no tape. I mean, uh, I think Blaine Stoughton had no tape on his stick and back in the, in the wooden days, I couldn't understand how you could, or Rick Middleton was the same yes, way. Yes. Uh, they couldn't make passes because the snow would build up and it would get icy on the bottom. And to me, the puck was always hopping off the stick. So, I mean, uh, I was always like, um, you know, followed, uh, I guess, you know, I mean, uh, with Wayne Gretzky is I was heel to toe with, um, and it was all black, black tape because you used to hear that the goalies couldn't see the puck uh, <laughs> coming off the stick. Yeah. I don't know if that was ever true, uh, but nope. I mean, and then you put powder on your powder on that Gordie Howe tape so it wouldn't stick. And that was, that was my routine every okay. day. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm glad you got me there. You mentioned Gordie Howe tape. So that's the, the two-sided friction tape. You use that? And did, and did you find that by the third period, your, stuck, your stick felt heavier because that type of tape just absorbed water? And by the third period, your blade felt, felt like it weighed 10 pounds? I was so muscular. None of those things. <laughs> it, was, it was still like a toothpick to me. <laughs> Gabby, I love it. Uh, absolutely love it. Okay. So, um, you know, here we are at the all-star break. Um, and you know, uh, at the women's PWHL three on three yesterday, had the draft yesterday, um, skills competition today, and then the game tomorrow, the skills competition. Um, again, I want to go historical with you and you just mentioned someone a second ago in Rick Middleton who just had elite level skill. Nifty was his nickname folks. Uh, and he yeah. had like tremendous individual skills. Um, I always think of players that I would have loved to have seen in a competition the way they have it set up this year, where they're going to crown an ultimate champion, where everybody does a little bit of a lot. Everyone does the different skills. I always think of Kent Nielsen and how well he would have done in an environment like that. When you think back, Gabby, to all the players you played with, you coached, and when you look at the skills competition and the way it's structured now, again, where they're crowning one champion, at the end of all of it. It's not just going to be, this guy has the hardest shot and this guy skates the fastest and this guy's best at accuracy shooting. Everyone's getting a taste of it here. Who would you have liked to have seen historically in a competition like this? For me, Kent Nilsson. Who is it for you? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, well, a, I've been around a while. There's a lot of players i got to think about here. I know, I'm giving you some. I should have given you homework last night. The first person that comes to mind, and he could do it all, and especially individually, I mean, when he didn't have to play with a team or have to back check, was Alex Semin. Oh, um, yeah. When I had him in Washington. I mean, he could shoot the puck as hard as anybody. He could skate as fast as anybody. He could stick handle. He was big. I mean, he couldn't fight, I can tell you that. Yeah. But um, Did okay against uh, Mark Stahl. Did okay against Mark Stahl. <laughs> Well, he slapped him to death, I think. But anyway, <laughs> uh, see, uh, uh, but he had all the skill in the world. And, and you see these guys with all that skill. And yeah. you'd like to see them in the individual uh, skills testing. That's what, I, that's what I'm really looking forward to, an overall champion um, in the skills tonight. I think this is a great new idea. And the guys that come up with these ideas are pretty unique. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it should be a lot of fun. You know, Alex Simon, I, I had 
you know, I, I haven't heard the name for a long time, but you're right. Like, I remember, you know, Pat Quinn used to call these players morning glories. You know, they look great in the morning at practice, and then, you know, the the, the game happens later on that night, and you're just like, what happened to that guy uh, that we just saw yeah. in practice? Like, as a coach, like, one, I can understand the frustration. I I, I totally get it. Um, but, like, what, what did you do with that player? Well, um, again, um, you never knew if you were getting the great one or the bad one. So you had to monitor it almost daily. Like, I mean, uh, I think the one thing I was able to do with it with a lot of the players is, is knowing, knowing what they could be and adjusting if they weren't that in that particular game, either moving down the lineup or up the lineup. Right. And I mean, so if they were, you could tell, okay, if this guy's really on tonight, I'm going to have to put him up with Obi and get him off the second line, or I'm going to, he's, this guy's just dog stumping today. I got to move <laughs> him down to the fourth line because he's not playing well. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the coach to, it's up to the coach to be able to read that. And, but that gets with coaching um, coaches who know their players. And when you're a coach, especially at the NHL level, you're, or the American League level, you're there with them every day. Yeah. So you get to read and you know their personalities, you know their, their body language on the ice, whether it's good or bad. And so, I mean, it, it's up to you to then to make the decision. And that's, to me, more of what coaching is than reading analytics. Excellent answer. Uh, Gabby, listen, enjoy All-Star Weekend. As you mentioned, the skills tonight. Uh, the game is tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and then we're into the next half of the season and then the inevitable trade deadline discussion. Uh, always love having all discussions with you, Gabby. Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up soon. Anytime, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. There he is, the great Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, man, the, one of the great things, as I just mentioned, the one thing great thing about Gabby, and this has been told to me before. I remember Bill, Bill, Bill Waters uh, used to always say this about Gabby. He would say, he's forgotten more about hockey, Jeff, than you will ever know. Now, you can say that for a lot of people uh, when it comes to me, but Bruce Boudreaux is one of those wonderful guys that can pull out references, you know, historically, cross decades. You can ask him frivolous questions like tape jobs um, and unique players from the past that would excel in skills competitions, and Gabby's going to give you an answer. Still remember Bill Waters saying that. Jeffy, he will know. I was right. Gabby knows. Oh, no. Gabby has forgotten. There we go. My brain today. It's been a long, it's been a long life. Gabby will, <laughs> Gabby has forgotten. No. God, I can't even say it. Gabby has forgotten more about hockey than you'll ever know. Man, my brain is toast today. It was a long night with the Spit and Chicklets guys last night and then a full morning of interviews. So I better shut up. But I'm not going to shut up before I thank a bunch of people. Uh, for today and this week as well. Uh, none of this gets to air. None of this gets completed without the help of Jen Rolnick, who uh, makes this thing look tasty on television. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Lance Kennedy, who's playing the keyboards behind me right now. That's him actually playing right now. That's not a track. That's actually Lance playing all the instruments. It's quite the scene here behind the glass. Our producer is David Siss, our supervising producer and fill-in host is Matt Marchese. He'll do the show. He'll do an hour. He'll do a segment. He don't care. Thanks to everybody. Matt, David, Lance, Jen. Thanks to everyone who dropped by today. Elliot Friedman. You just heard from Bruce Boudreaux as well. Craig Conroy, general manager of the Calgary Flames. And Gord Stella kicked things off today. It is All-Star Weekend in Toronto. Skills competition looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Very much looking forward to that. Then the game tomorrow. And you know what? If you're thinking about grousing about it, maybe don't. Because as we've pointed out before, not everything has to be for you. Kids love this thing. Watch the kids. Think of the kids. The kids love the All-Star. Let them be happy. Join you again on Monday.